0: Excel Podcast Is there anybody out there? Excel Podcast Excel Podcast, podcast. Facebook podcast.
1: DJ podcast. Malorka You're listening to Malorka Lee's Excel Podcast
0: Hi and welcome to another episode of my Excel Podcast This guest is one of my favourite producers I've got to say and responsible for some of my favourite tracks Not to be mixed up with force mass motion Mike Wells this is GTO Tricky Disco and loads more Mike Wells don't forget we've got 1994 coming up the future on the 4th of March 2023 with ultrasonic die witness MC Cyclone Mark Smith George Bowie Joe Deacon Malcolm X, Lee Clark, and MC Voyager. That's at the Classic Grand in Glasgow. Tickets are only twenty pounds. It's going to sell out, be there, and help us celebrate ten amazing years of old school Rave reunions with nineteen ninety-four. Now, on with the show and Mike's journey through music.
1: Excel podcast.
0: Can you see me okay in the screen and all that? Yeah? Perfect, yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Thanks okay. very much for taking the time to talk to us. Well, where are you? Sunny? Sunny Glasgow. It looks nice there, is it? Well, we've got a bit of sun for now. I don't know how long it'll last. <laughs> where in the world are you? I'm in Spain. Oh, wow. How long yeah. have you been living over there? 15 years now. Oh, Brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're in, I was in the middle of London and I was just got too much then, too crazy. So, yeah. I mean, this, this countryside here. Right. So, uh, yeah, especially with, the, all, with all this craziness at the moment,
0: it was quite a good move, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm sort of outside the city of Glasgow yeah. and, and kind of the country, but away from the busyness, but, you know, and it's kind uh-huh. of good what you're saying when you get a bit of space about you during these times. And if you want to get crazy, you can you can go into the city if you want to. Yeah. yeah it's better. And uh, it's a train or a taxi home.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so you you at least away from the madness most of the time. Yes.
0: Trying. <laughs> <laughs> so like, with this, this podcast thing that I've been doing, I've managed to speak to quite a few people. And, and basically what I do is I just kind of start... But your journey through music, you know, like, basically in three parts, like we spoke about, you know, like, when you first were aware at a young age of music, where in the world were you? And, you know, what kind of started your interest in music?
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in Merseyside, so the Beatles were part of the whole thing. everyone, whether they were 90 or nine years old, were listening to The Beatles. So I guess that was the first thing that sort of focused on music. But I used to go out with my brother. He was a couple of years older than me. And they used to take me to parties in houses and things. And I think Motown and all that sort of music, James Brown, Motown, um, ska, reggae, all that sort of music we used to listen to first of all. I mean, my, a lot of my school friends, they were listening to, I don't know, Neil Young, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell. So they were on that side of things. But I was I was listening to more, yeah, dance-based music then. You know, ska, reggae and, yeah. and motel. So that sort of thing. James Brown, you know, funk. So I think that was the first real music that got me interested in in sounds and atmospheres and things like that. Yeah. Now, we'd... we'd We'd go Sorry. to people's
0: houses and switch all the lights off and listen to music and drink whiskey and you know as yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah, just making your own sort of entertainment with the music in the background there. It's the internet hanging. Yeah.
1: Well,
0: oh, that's a yeah. Shame.
1: I mean, no, it was like organised spots.
0: Yeah, just hanging out with friends. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just noticing there's a wee bit of a hang on the internet. Are you okay? Yeah. Are you hearing me okay? No, fine, it just went a little bit glitchy then, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what was there any sort of we spoke about it? Is there any sort of particular records from uh, your past when you, when you first sort of got interested in, oh, you know, there was a favorite song, or you started thinking more about a love for music, or there's more to this music than you know what all my friends are hearing, kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think. I'm not sure. I think we were all into music. My, some of my friends, I don't know whether they went on to make music or or, or whatever. But we all loved the music in the same way. Um, and I never, I never really thought then I was gonna, I was gonna end up making music or sounds yeah. or anything. I was much more interested in going to art college and and making art and visual art. So it, it wasn't something I thought, ah, oh, no, I'm gonna be a musician. I yeah. sort of got into music later. Um, through making art actually um, I, I was doing performance art and, and visual art I needed I needed soundtracks to go with this, oh, what I was okay. doing so that's, that's how I ended up making music, is because I wanted to I, I was making tape loops and banging things and saucepans and you know, just making like industrial sounds and noise to go with the performances I was doing but I yes. was at art college doing art, so Listening to me, early music wasn't something like, ah, I want to be a musician or anything. It's, the music was always with me, but it was uh,
0: it was more of an art thing that I wanted ah, okay. to do. I um, suppose music and art are very closely connected. You know, if, like yourself, you started an art and then music accompanied art, where other people have a start of music and then the art comes into the music, be it artwork yeah. or a, a visual performance or something. Yeah. So well, the- I think, music inspired me as well because of the, because
1: of the do-it-yourself sort of motivation behind things and that that sort of idea and even now when I make music I make the videos and the record covers and you know I, I try and do everything yeah. a whole package mainly because I enjoy doing it but mainly because I, I, I still like to keep as much control as possible you know and it, it, at least I, I know the end product is what I want it to be. You know uh-huh. and we, when we started making music initially after after when I left our college, um, we we started making cassettes, but in the boxes we had we were selling were sculptures, photographs, poems, and music. Cassettes. Right, cool. So that was the very early greater than one music, which later became GTO. but greater than one started off as like a an art project and we made paintings as greater than one and we sold these in record shops like limited edition 50 limited edition things with sculptures in and so there was that was a combination of art and music
0: oh, then okay. you know. yeah i mean i i definitely agree with you that punk rock sort of attitude where like you don't need to be a musician to yeah. to pick up an instrument you know you can do it if you want And and I think even that sort of attitude carried on into early acid House. You know, people just giving something a try. Just
1: just getting a couple of machines together and say, I can make music, I can do this. And and that's where, oh yeah, twiddle a few knobs and that sounds good. Let's just keep on going with that. It's the same sort of attitude as punk. I mean, with with punk, I used to go to a club in Liverpool called Eric's and uh, it was quite a chaotic club. But it was always bands on, you know, all the all punk bands went there. And we, we used to go to the pub next door. And, and the guy who ran it, Roger Eagle, uh, we always used to pest him. Can we put our band on? We didn't even have a band.
0: We just wanted to <laughs> get on stage,
1: you know, And we couldn't play instruments. But yeah. everybody wanted to get on stage and just make a noise. Yeah. And that, that I think that's the same thing as, you know, now everybody wants to be a DJ and it's a little bit easier to be to be a DJ and things, but that attitude then was, I just want to get involved, you know? And I think, yeah, the acid house thing was the same. You know, you didn't know who the DJ was. You didn't know who made the music, but everyone to some extent was, in, was involved even fashion wise. Yeah. Making statements. Yep. Yeah. So I guess that's, what's missing a little bit out of the, well, whether when club culture comes back, it might've changed with this, Maybe one or two years stop of club culture, things will probably change now culturally in that scene because yeah. there will there will be illegal raves and there will be things that go beyond the authority. So a whole new culture will actually come out of yeah. the situation we're in now. Maybe a new type of music, a new form of music, will come out of it because that's the way things that's the way things move.
0: Yep, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Sort of the club music did get to a a point where it just became big name DJs getting paid big amounts of money, you know, doing three gigs a weekend or four on a private jet going from Ibiza to to Stockholm to Berlin to L.A. And that's just that's just crazy.
0: And and football player wages
1: yeah yeah and it got out of hand I think you know and yeah they can can charge those wages because they had a public who were prepared to go there I mean if you look at those big Tomorrowland festivals and things I mean they've got four days of 100 200,000 people or something I mean
0: yeah
1: I think that to me that's not that's not what the scene's about or the music's about you know I, I, I like the intimate clubs and I
0: like the the contact with people yep I mean, see, uh, going, going back to what you were saying about it was art that sort of led you into music. Was going to art school was that quite a sort of a, not a risky thing, but was that quite a, a defiant thing when when maybe everyone around you's you know you know just from my own experience, you're encouraged to get a trade behind you or get a proper job and all that. Was was you encouraged to go to art school? Did your your parents behind you or?
1: Yeah, my mum was behind me. My dad, I think, a bit more. He supported me. I mean, uh, my dad worked on the on the docks on the sea. get a job in the in the docks as uh, maybe a draftsman or something like that. So when I when I wanted to go to art college, they thought, oh, well, you know, that's good. You could become a draftsman in the in the uh, the dock authority or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they encouraged me. And it was, for me, it was such an exciting time, especially when I was at College in London. So, it, yeah, we were just running around London all night and then working in the college all day. And it was, yeah, it was stimulating. Other yeah. people, you, you learned about their music and their styles and things. And, yeah, one or two friends, I had a friend who was very good um, uh, friends with Throbbing Gristle uh, so he turned me on to their music. So we used to go to all the Throbbing Gristle concerts and Psychic TV after that. And uh, that was a b- big influence on me as well, that sort of music, industrial music.
0: Yeah.
1: And what, uh, what sort of year yeah. was that,
0: Michael? What, what sort of year?
1: That was... Uh, uh, 80s or so, 80s... When was that? Yeah, 83s or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah, that was a great and um, so we saw all those sort of industrial bands, Test Department, Einstein der Neubaten and you know, all that stuff that was going around London at the time. And we were sort of yeah, that, that was a big influence on the music. And that's I started out making sort of industrial type of music, noise music, experimental music, lots of yep. sampling and things. And, uh, yeah, again, that was not really thinking about a direction of what t- type of music I was going to make. It was just all, well, let's just turn it on and see what happens and make tape loops and s- before, yeah. before the sound came. So like you were then, saying, yeah, it was yeah, more of a performance to... piece? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, sort of wrapping yourself up and <laughs> <laughs> that
0: sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that sort of scene, would you say that was kind of like one of the precursors before, obviously, electronic music sort of really developed and was it more like rock-based? Was a was synthesizers involved or was it more just anything yeah. to make a noise? There were, well,
1: Stop and Gristle definitely were a techno synth uh, group. They, they used lots of synthesizers and their sounds were, had some sequences in them and things. So I'd definitely say there was techno in that. Uh-huh. But the interesting thing is, that at the time, afterwards, then came the Acid House, and the two to, to for me, merged. And that's when we started making dance-based club music, really. Mm-hmm. And beforehand, we, as Greater Than One, we recorded with a, um, an industrial label called Wax Tracks in Chicago. And they put out like Front 242 and Lieback and Skinny Puppy and KMFDM and Phil Kill Cult, all those sort of industrial rock bands. Yeah. But they were still synth based as well. And so there was a, a crossover between those, those types of music. And so... I think we took our influences from industrial music and put them into the dance music. Yeah. And I think you can hear there's still an edge to some of the early music um, even like GTO early music there's still a slight a slight edge which uh, that's why people used to think we were Belgian because it had a sort of, sort of more Belgian Dutch industrial sound to the yeah. to the dance music rather than the the sort of funkiness of of uh, Detroit or Chicago, for example, yeah. we, we're always m- much more attuned to perhaps a Belgian, German, Dutch type of sound.
0: And I think you can hear that in the music. Yeah, uh, definitely. B- yeah. So, will we or can you pick two tracks from that sort of era, and then we can, like, with the magic of technology, we can insert them in, and then come back to the chat.
1: I picked a, a Throbbing Gristle track, and I can't remember what the other track was. I picked. was that a James Brown track? Oh, there was a James Brown track from the uh, from the early days, which is which was sort of the, and then uh, a, um, a reggae track, King Tubby uh, dub track.
0: Uh huh. So. We'll, we'll... And certainly i in with a magic, it's an audio, then we'll pick up the chat. Because <laughs> what I do is I'll just take the audio, I'll chop the audio, I'll put this Okay, stuff... and then play it, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, Sorry.
1: The James Brown, it, 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 it was 100% humanised music. But it had the, the sort of loop effect to it as well. The way they, the way that beat just kept chugging and chugging along, and I, I think that's what I liked about that. It sounded like
0: electronic music because the loop was just. They yeah. were so rehearsed. Those is what was it uh, the J B All The JBs, yeah. They always used to talk uh, about going on the one. I suppose that emphasised the yeah. first beat, giving you that kind yeah. of loop. He, he trained them. He trained them like
1: until they were drop dropping. And they just kept them going and going and going. So then, when he when said let's count it off, bang, they would do that because they were scared of what he was going to do. <laughs> yeah. Such a such a organised in a military beat. So yeah, I think that's why probably why I liked it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> James Brown, I mean, he was possibly one of the first sequencers. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, yeah. he's but running things. You know really what he good. wants in his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Very so, good. I mean, they, they, uh, the, also the, the musicians—they were in fear of getting their wages docked if they made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He fell out with a lot of people, didn't he? Yeah. But I mean, then, see, see him out. Bootsy Collins, I was going to say, he's come out of that camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, too, yeah I beat- I'm sure they, they learned a lot from that experience. Yeah, yeah. I certainly not miss a, a beat anyway. <laughs> 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 so, look, look, moving on then, you were saying like you know, the industrial thing. I, I'm not really too clued up on the industrial side of things. You know, possibly front 242. I don't know if you mm-hmm. would agree, maybe early shaming for me was kind of like the closest I got to, well, front 242, and then I, th- I felt that like the shaming was a wee bit maybe industrial at the start. Is about the closest mm-hmm. I experienced with industrial kind of music. But obviously you were more immersed in it. And are you seeing, like you were saying, it was mashed together with Acid House. Is, uh-huh. is club culture becoming something then? Or did you feel that when you were... Going out and experiencing like the industrial scene—that was your club culture, if that makes kind of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if we went if we went to a club that would play that music, they would play the sort of more dance orientated side of that music. Nitzer for example. Yeah. I mean, they crossed over into some club culture as well. I mean, a lot of a lot of DJs who were playing then would play um, Ebb and stuff like that because it, it lent itself to that, or DAF. Um, yeah, so but, so a lot of clubs would play that that type of music, especially in America. They had the whole student radio network, and they would play a lot of that industrial music on the on the radio, and then there would be clubs who would sort of reflect that as well, and they'd play that that style of music in America in the in the sort of student clubs, uh, and that was that was quite big in the student scene then. Before acid house or any sort of dance music yeah. uh, happened in America, I think, that, I think. Sorry, dance music happened on a wider level in Europe. Before it did in in the states, funnily enough. Excel podcast. But the whole record shop um, culture, especially like in in the UK, people were crazy on a Saturday morning buying white labels and yep. and waiting for the latest stuff, and that was that was exciting for DJs and punters to yep. be able to find um, music that was that was rare. I mean, some of those records were only. Pressed up in five hundred or a thousand, and the amount of record shops in the UK, there were there were so few records to go around. It made the made the DJ special because they had those they, yeah. they had those tracks.
0: Yeah, and also a, a record then would stay in your bag or on a, a DJ's playlist for for years. You know, it didn't have the the throw away yeah. shelf life of music now. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, It was a physical a physical thing.
0: Yep, the, the you know the process. You said you were you were always like fusing your music into your art. What what, what was like kind of like the when did or did did music then become uh, something you focused on more than art or was it a crossover? Like you said, even now you're still fusing the two. But you know, looking at your biography and the amount of uh-huh. bands and projects that you've done, it, there's, there's a there's a hell of a lot there. When when was this a shift, or yeah, was yeah. it a shift?
1: Yeah, I think I think there was a shift when we did GTO pure and tricky disco, and the, at that time I was working as a, a commercial illustrator and uh, and a fine artist in a studio, and uh, yeah, we were working hard. At the weekends we were w- making music, and then working all days on on commercial art and different forms of art. And there was a time at at that point where we had to make a decision. We're going to go on making music or continue doing art. And uh, I (laughs) I made a decision. I had to go, I had to do a map, a map of London. There was a big illustrator. It was quite a big job for a company for, there was a, to go on the underground or something. And the the client was being such a pain in the arse that I (laughs) I went into the meeting and he he was just such an asshole. I just threw the the piece of paper on the the table and walked away. And I think that was the last piece of commercial art I did. And from then I continued making music. so that was a that was a decision I made just because I was so pissed off with this with this guy I thought well okay that's it I'm not going to do any more of that so that that, was was the way it went and and it was much more fun it was starting to gain momentum and uh, yeah that was that was that was a time when we were so productive in music then it didn't make sense to try and stretch ourselves and do all the other things yeah I mean, Luckily, I've been able to continue doing it up until today, so...
0: Yeah. I mean, the two tracks that you, you just mentioned there, Pure and Tricky Disco, were two massive tracks, two game changers, you know, in electronic music. Mm-hmm. Were, were they your one of your first releases, or had you done a few releases before that?
1: We did a few before that. We, Industrial music, GTO actually comes from Greater Than One. Yep. Um, started Greater Than One um, and we made one experimental industrial album for um, a label called Side Effects, which was run by someone called Graham Revell, who now actually now does uh, Hollywood film soundtracks. Um, but he, he was in a band called SPK, and they made industrial experimental music, and they put out this album for us. And that album gained a bit of attention um, by a label in in America called Wax Tracks. And wax were really quite a big label for industrial rock music, industrial dance music as such. And they put out front two, four two. and they so we made two albums for them. Um and a few singles and an EP. And some of the singles were on the dance vibe, four four beat, lots of samples in. Um, so they were the first sort of experiments we made with dance music. And they were they were more played in the in the sort of American college radio network and Amer- uh, college club network. Um yeah, so that was the first time that we started to get the idea of making stuff that DJs would play rather yeah. than... We never thought about that beforehand. But it's also because, because Acid House and all that thing was taking off that we would, started to go every now and then to, to clubs and hear the music. And then that music sort of came together. Then we made Pure and Tricky Disco off the, 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 the fusion of that those influences, really. Yeah, yeah. and So they you, just... I think, Sorry, yeah. I think you t- and Tricky Disco were the first meetings of those two things. Where it, the, we were trying to make dance music as, as as opposed to making music with a dance beat. Yeah, we actually tried to make music that would that would be played in a club on a dance floor,
0: and they, they sort of worked okay. Yeah I mean did you is that why you went with GTO to just slightly change from the greater than one just to say that this is a sort of slightly different project yeah also also um when we did a mail out to
1: DJs they, they had a real hard time writing greater than one <laughs> it, 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 honestly it, it, it was too much for them on the, on the response form yeah. so to write, to write GTO for them was a lot easier and for us also because they would spell greater than one and it was just yeah. they didn't have the time or they just rush it or do, maybe even did it in a club or something so that was an
0: abbreviation to bring it down was uh, <laughs> that was the why we did that yeah. really suppose after a rough weekend you can quickly write the, the initials, <laughs> GTO, <Yeah. laughs> 10 out of 10, right, good. Uh, yeah. Uh, can, you, can you remember much about the recording process back then in tracks like Cure and Tricky Disco and, you know, what equipment you used?
1: Yeah, well, we had our own, because we, were, we made commercial art, we actually managed to buy our own equipment and we, so we had our own home studio then. So actually, I think there's only one time, no two times. We've actually been in a, in a recording studio. The rest of the time, it's been made in a in a home studio. All the music, and we bought yeah a big mixing desk. Luckily, we bought uh, uh, probably one of the first samplers that came into the, the Akai samplers that came into the UK, and we had a. Um, an 8-track reel-to-reel, Tascam half-inch reel-to-reel, and all the music was made on that. I, which is why I don't have copies of it now, because it's all stored on floppy disks yeah. that were by Simti to a, a Cubase creator in a, an Atari computer. <laughs> so it's all, it's all over the place. But uh, actually for Pure I managed to get all the bits together now. So. People keep asking to do a remix, but I'm not sure whether I want to do it, but it's it's possibly in the process because I've got all the bits, thanks to yeah. some people, all the bits now. So. But yeah, it was all made in the home studio, all all the stuff we made,
0: even the, the early industrial stuff and all the later stuff. So, so was it, there was only two of you when you were producing The Great Ellen One and... Yeah. GTO. Um, Was that a a friend or colleague that you had met at art school? He's decided to work together on music?
1: Yeah, it was was my girlfriend and then became wife. Um, We worked together, lived together, did everything together, really. Yeah. Yeah. and I'd do a lot of recording. She'd come in and finish it. Sometimes she'd start something. So we'd we'd take it in turns to do things. Yeah. But we worked in the same commercial art stuff together. So... Yeah, we were we were there 24/7 together making making stuff and uh, and then we, we people said can you do some live shows? So we ended up doing some live shows and putting visual things together. And when we couldn't do that, we sort of we said, "Oh, we'll come and DJ then." We'd never DJed before ever. So we bought some decks and a couple <laughs> of weekends learned how to DJ, and then we said, "Oh yeah, and now we're DJing." So. Yeah. That was that was a, a good way of doing a live show without having to to turn up with all the videos and and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, that's maybe that punk rock uh, attitude. I just so yeah, I'll give it a go. DJ, give me a shot of that.
1: I think the ver- the first DJ thing we did was a quite a big club in Frankfurt, I think, and uh, yeah, we just we just took to it as, as you do, and uh, yeah. If you're fearless enough and you want to do it, you just do it,
0: yeah. Yeah. There's so many kind of geeky questions I want to ask you about certain tracks and all that. I mean, even like like Pure, the string sound and Pure, and then the wee sort of almost flute kind of melody thing and all that. Are those samples or is that Uh something that you've created? The, The flute was a sample. The string
1: was something we created. Um, I can't say where the flute sample comes from but I secret. do that <laughs> <laughs> people always say where did that come from um, it's, it's pretty obscure anyway so I don't think many people would I used to always uh, tape stuff off the TV, TV and just run through it and run through it and find samples and you know that was the way of starting points of, of a lot of music like want to be a hippie that was just
0: the starting point was just a sample yeah. You know, um, was it the vocal was a sample? So, yeah. Was the wanna yeah. be a yeah. happy. Was that a vocal sample that started that track?
1: The awesome. vocal sample, yeah. It, it, it was taken off a film of a guy it was a guy playing acoustic guitar and just speeded up the sample. It was just a normal guy going, I wanna be a hippie.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh Really later we found that found out that the, it was actually quite a famous guy that did it, uh, and so we contacted him and said, "Can we use the sample?" Blah blah blah. So we cleared the sample finally, which was quite good. But yeah, that was just taken off of, on a rainy afternoon in London off a of videotape.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Mean, and the even like the tricky yeah. disco thing that that full track, you know, came along with it, the, the full sort of bleep sound and all that. I mean, what was this kind of thinking process behind that?
1: Um well we, we we we'd signed Pure to a label in Holland called Gobang. And when we went over there we went to a few a uh, few clubs in Amsterdam and heard all this music. And I think at the time it was eight or eight states, Pacific State and that sort of sound. Um and they were playing, yeah I think go, go Bang had also just just done techno trance, uh, yeah. Yeah. And we, we were sort of get, got influenced by all those sounds and the Sheffield sound, uh, uh, test tone, and all those sort of things. And so we all were aware of uh, all that music because we sort of immersed ourselves into the into the clubs to hear what the what the sounds were. Yeah. And I really like the idea of making sounds from tones. And the, and we sampled like we used to be able to pick up the phone and get the um, speaking clock beep, and yeah. uh, so we sampled those those sort of tones. And that, that's that's actually used in Tricky Disco and Pure. Wow. Uh, the sort of speaking clock you can hear just as whoop. and uh, yeah. So we had, we we're interested in just like making music out of pure
0: tones. So that's that's how that came about. Uh-huh. And as these tracks are kind of. Uh you know more so the tricky disco thing that sort of blew up commercially did you find yourself being involved in maybe the video side of things and artwork yeah, th-
1: yeah we made the video for for the tricky disco uh, we called up some companies and got some stock footage and then we filmed some stuff in our garden in london and that was in there <laughs> it's funny because it was on top of the pops and we made a little robot and, Animation and they was, ah, look, they saw a garden on top of the pops." And that was like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thankfully, we didn't have to go on top of the pops. But uh, yeah, it was quite. It was interesting at that time. It was. It was such a bit. But it was. It was faceless techno music, so nobody really were interested in the people behind it. It was the track that was the thing. Mm. Uh, I, I quite liked that. It was uh, the track was famous, not us. Mm-hmm. and and it was the music that was doing the, the work and so yeah that was it was quite nice about that and it still is really I mean I can you know I'm not a famous person so I can still make music on, on lots of different levels no one's ever bothered me for that reason so yeah.
0: uh,
1: that, that I like
0: <laughs> do you What's the reason behind having so many aliases and different projects? Is it just you want different pigeonholes for different music or different frames of mind? Or- it was a. I think it's a twofold thing. It was it, one. It was practical
1: because some people would say, uh, "Can you make a a, a project for us?" So I think XL Records said, "Can you can you do something for us?" We said, "Oh yeah, we'd love to." But you know, we, we do tricky disco with Warp and we do. GTO with these people, and then so we made up a new name just because it, it, it was practical, really, to do so, and then yeah, it's, it it also suited the type of music, like Church of Ecstasy was hard, abrasive acid, yeah, and that, that sort of. Yeah, you know, it helped us to sort of pigeonhole it as well to some yeah. extent. But it was yeah,
0: you know, half half of it was a practical reason as well, really. Yeah. Excel
1: podcast.
0: What would you say would be your first big commercial success? Would that have been Tricky Disco? Or was that the one that really blew up for you?
1: Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, Tricky Disco and Pure were out at the same time. Um, wow. Um, Tricky Disco got higher in the in the top 40, but there was a problem with Pure because the record label in Holland, the, we signed it then to Cool Tempo Records, Pure. Yeah. And cool Tempo Records were about to build it up to release, but they were still getting white labels coming from Holland wow. into all the record shops. And that that killed a lot of the momentum of the sales because they they just kept and we were phoning up saying can you stop selling these things we've signed it now to another label you know you're part of this so it, it you're only hurting yourself if you keep selling it but you know in those days i don't know distributors wanted to sell things people wanted to sell things so Whatever happened, uh, and the the white labels just kept flooding and flooding and flooding. And by the time it was released on Cool Tempo, there wasn't that, you know, midweek sales impact that the the the, the, they normally would have got. So that was that was a bit of a shame, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it sold. I I say it probably sold the same amount as Tricky Disco, but not on that commercial level. Yeah. For obviously,
0: because white labels don't get the barcodes and it's not getting scanned. And yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And in those days, it was just purely sales. It didn't include radio play or anything like that. So
0: yeah. I mean, I, I would love to include those two just because personal favourites of mine as well. You know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the chat and. So if we inserted them in here, <laughs> that'd be good, yeah. and, and, and then make them back. <laughs> so I mean, those tracks—like you—you put the two of them out. The two of them have done really well. Are you, are, you, are you starting to find the pressure of the industry? Is that affecting you in any way? Are you no, you... no. To, I mean, to some extent, I've never been, and we
1: were never in the music biz. And I never, I still don't feel as if I'm part of the music business. Never had a manager. Never had an agent. Never had. A, we had a lawyer at the beginning. Uh, he cost us so much money that we thought we can do this ourselves. Yeah. So that went out the window. Um, so, you know, it, we always tried to have control. And if if you're in the music business, I mean, now people have got an Instagram account. They've got a lawyer. They've got a, an accountant. They've got all the, before they've even made a track. Yeah. I mean, you know, all, they've got selfies and they've got everything before they've even got into music. And yeah. by the time they make music, they're just copying something they've heard anyway. I mean, that's why there's so much music out there. You know, look at look at beatport top ten or something. The whole most of it sounds the same the same programs the same kick drums the same you know there's, there's not that innovation people yeah. people would rather get famous before they even make anything or do anything so yeah I never felt part of the music business and, and in that way we could always make it on a friendly level like when we made music with uh, Rising High it was only because we met Casper Pound and and his crew and it, they, they were such friendly nice people and yep. we, we were happy to make music with them and that's the way you know like with because we had to be involved with them because they were genuine people so well, we always took it on a on a people level really
0: yeah
1: and even now if I, if, I, if i don't like the people i don't have to work with them
0: yeah. I'd rather work with people I respect, like. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I don't know for me if it's, it's just the, the longer I've been involved, it's more about working with the right people and enjoying the process of working with friends or, or like minded people. Because I think yeah. the, the music business it, it's definitely like two sided, isn't it? There's a the music and then there's a the business, you know, and, and if you get tied up with a yeah. business, your music suffers if you focus too much on the music somebody will come along and take advantage of your business side you know and, and it's really hard to juggle yeah. but again maybe it's that, again harking back to that punk rock attitude of you're doing it all yourself and you don't need it, you, you don't need to comply to the rules of you must have a manager an agent or uh,
1: I think and also I, I don't think I can say I've never made music uh, to make money It's that's never been a question. You know, when when I was working, quite happily, I knew it was a hobby, making music, and I I, I think it still is a hobby. I like I like doing it, and it's not to make money. It's not to try and make money at all. Mm -hmm. You know, if the the worst thing I can do is make a piece of music that I think will fit into something, that's the that's the most. Cynical way uh, of me of uh, of uh, making music, but that's just because I want to design something that will be played in a certain situation, but not to make money. I mean, if money, if if things make money, we have made money from it, but that's that's not that's not the starting point at all. Yeah. If if you're in it for the money, then you're going to make
0: crap music anyway.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's a great. Uh, attitude and, it, and it's and it's probably something that served you well right to, right to this this point because it's it's only when again through personal experiences the pressures you feel it, it's from a third party it's from a record label wanting something more like that again and you feel yeah, like
1: yeah,
0: yeah. you need to deliver this something similar but better you know rather than just doing what you want to do I, I, yeah. I don't I, I would even be I would even think if maybe more than 90% of artists now if they're honest with themselves I don't think they're actually writing music they really want to make I think it's a small a small majority of people that actually do the music that they want to do yeah and to to say you're one of them (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah after all these years (laughs) still thinking but yeah that's because I enjoy it you know I'm doing what I want to do, so. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, and it's not about it's not about sales or anything. If anything, it's just about getting stuff out there and enjoying doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're working with, you know, like you mentioned Warp, which is a massive label, uh, Caspar. You know, working with people that you want to work with. So then, by doing so, are you ruling out any pressures from those people asking for a follow-up hit, or can you do something like? Have you never had those conversations are
1: not really, no. People people always were really quite open to what what came along. I mean, I did an album for Rape Records, and they they were a thrash metal label. Um, and the guy running it wanted wanted me to do a hardcore type of type of style but um, Lee had just died and I Want to Be a Hippie had just been a big hit and I'd made some Gabba, hardcore, techno type of things and I really didn't want to make that type of music so I made I made a, an album for him uh, Signs of Chaos but it's 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 a dark album and uh, that's the way I was thinking yeah. and feeling so I, I couldn't make a a hardcore techno thing for him it, was, it just didn't fit so i said this is what i've made you know can you put it you know put it out if you want to accept it and you know good for him he put it out and it's 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 different to what he normally puts out on his label so and i i think if i listened i don't listen to it much but if i do listen to it, it you know it's quite a dark record really and I think it reflects the the, the way I was feeling yeah. at the time. Yeah. yeah. So no no one's no one's really pressured to to. I'm not a commercial producer in that sense, you know. So no one's really come to me and said, "Oh, make this a hit or do this." So it's never been an issue. No.
0: Yeah. I mean, the more I'm talking to you, I'm I'm just the more I'm realizing you know, I, I the art background and music really is an art form for you. Would you? Would you? Am, am I right in thinking that?
1: Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, a great influence on me art-wise was was Dada and the, and the cut-up mm-hmm. of, 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 of that movement. And I think music-wise, with with sampling. I do the same. I, I layer things and sometimes start with a sample, sometimes not. But I, I never start music with, a, with, a, with a, for example, a lot of people think, I've got this tune in my head, this bass line or something. I never do that. I've never done that. I never had a, a tune in my head ever. I start from a practical, I've got this sound and I'm going to build around it. And that's normally how I make the music. And that's a similar way to the way I used to make or still do make pictures by cutting up, cutting cutting up pasting in in a visual sampling way. So theres for me, there is a similarity between those those two things, visual art and the sound. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't go as far. I mean when we st- <laughs> when we started out, we would we would try and play the art cards to like nME. And they, they hated they hated it. They didn't want to hear the word art and music together. They just, they just didn't want to know. And most of these kids were like suburban kids who wanted to be urban kids. Yeah. And to them, art, art was just the wrong word. And we met some of these people who wrote for Enemy. And, and they just didn't want to know about art. And you know, eventually we, we got the message that it's, it's not a good idea to shout too much about art because it's still it still sort of offends people mm. you know they think oh that's a you know a privileged hoity-toity type of thing or whatever and yeah. they really don't want to know about it. so I think I've learned over the years not to not to shout too much about it to to me although people are a lot more open now yeah in those days if you talked about art to, and tricky disco in the same
0: in the same sentence, then it was like. I am yeah. um, the. I mean, I, I I I don't know. You know, when you'd mentioned um, Lee passing and stuff, and you, you produced this dark album, had had you had you even thought or contemplated maybe, did you lost interest in music or you know my. my you can only t- you yeah, can talk. I is- did.
1: Well,
0: yeah, yeah, it Must, yeah, must I have did. been a
1: yeah. Because the funny thing is, it she died exactly the time that, that uh, the I want to be a hippie was was a hit. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the, the music. Not that I, not that I want to be a hippie. The the sort of. Version that came out and was on the radio was really representative of our music, but you know we were part of we were part of it, and that was just yeah a big a big hit, and that that whole time for me it was uh, yeah difficult to deal with, extremely yeah. difficult to deal with, and were, you know and to try and continue. So yeah, I did step back away from that after I think after six months or a year, then uh, the music I made was extremely gentle, <laughs> extremely minimal. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that open. And yeah, it, it, I, it took me a while, even recently, it's only just, I've only just started to open up again about music, Yeah, funnily enough. It took a, it took a long time for me to to really get back into making music that I wanted to make. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it was a yeah, it was a big. We were if you if you can imagine it, we were we were reaching something we wanted to do, and we worked together for for yeah eight years or more. Yeah. Uh, and then it was all just taken away. Yeah. And that was just, yeah, such a big blow. So yeah. Yep. Not the most pleasant time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can only, I can only imagine, Michael. I mean, even um, you know, as you're saying, the track's blown up. It's massive. If, if you're hearing it on the radio or whatever, it's a, a constant reminder of what what you've been through, what you're going through. It must have been a, a, a really yeah, trying yeah. time.
1: Yeah, and I was, I was not under pressure, but. I had to do, still continue doing promotion and interviews and things. And that was just, it just didn't make sense. But the situation was so bizarre that I just kept on doing it. I didn't even think. I even made, kept doing uh, some tracks after it to try and continue the whole thing, but just nothing felt right. It was just bizarre. know, yeah. I, I was flying to Germany to do, to do a TV show. <laughs> you know, and and, and we I, we just buried Lee, uh, yep. it just didn't make sense. You no, know? it was crazy. So I did it, and I continued doing it, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't something I. I, th- I think in hindsight, I probably would have just should have just cut off. But I kept on doing it for for her and for me, basically.
0: Yep. I think. So yeah, it wasn't 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 the easiest of times. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean. I guess there's maybe that thinking where you're throwing yourself into work to try and take your mind off what's happening, but equally yeah. your work is what the two you had created. So it's I don't I don't think you could have yeah. won whatever way you decided to do. You know, it's... Uh,
1: yeah, so yeah, we had a a techno head album which had our work on it. So you know, and people wanted to talk about it. So yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. No, not the best of times, I don't think. But it definitely affected, yeah, up until, I'd say up until now, recently, the yep. way I make music. Uh, it's only now I've, I've, in the past, maybe in the past two years, I've found a, a freedom in making music again and really enjoying it more. Yeah. And I think it shows the results. The results are better and the reactions are better. Yeah. People, people seem to respond to the the music I'm making now, a lot better than I... I made a lot of, not to say experimental music, but very, very down-tempo music over the over the past 10, 10 years or so, 20 years. Not much up-tempo music, a couple of tracks, but only recently that I really got into making something with... Life and energy in it again. You know, mm-hmm. I spent a long time playing golf, <laughs> you
0: know, and not making music at all. Yeah, just to just giving yourself a break from it. Well, I mean, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. the the journey that you've been on, you know, you've you've just always d- done what you wanted to do, and I think you know, yeah. it, sh- it shows just over this conversation, you know. I am um, back then when you write music to to now. Is there certain pieces of equipment that you used back then that you're still using now or has anything been with you all the time? Favourite bits of equipment? No, no everything's new
1: now. Totally. So I, if, I'm in the studio now and uh, I've still got bits of stuff that's been sitting there for 25 years I haven't touched. <laughs> Did you? Okay. i got mixing desks, uh, you know, tons of equipment. I just don't touch them now because everything's... I work totally digital now, so everything's in the computer. So everything's new. It's all software. Yep. So uh, the biggest thing I still use is a sampler. So if if you look at one of my projects, I've got maybe 20 samplers open, all with samples in them, and maybe two soft synths. And that's about it. Uh, I, yeah, I don't use any outboard equipment or any any hardware or anything. It's all it's all digital. Yeah. So yeah, everything's changed in that sense, which I like. It's a, it's a quicker quicker process for me as well. I like to work quickly, so it suits me like that.
0: Yeah, is there a particular door that you're using that you've you've Stuck by, or are you always changing yeah, that? I,
1: I I use Logic now. So I, yeah, I tried Cubase. Maybe it was okay, but uh, Logic to me it works better. And I've got Ableton and things, but Logic still for me is the is the one that works the best. So I stick with that really. Yeah, and I'm, I've, I've I've just bought the the new Logic. Um, but I still use an old version of Logic and it works as long as my computer keeps on turning on, yeah. So I keep on using that until I'm slowly going into the new system. But, um, if, if I know how it, how it works and I'm I, I, I feel easy with it, so yeah,
0: yeah. Excel, Excel. I'm also I've not moved to the new version of Logic, but. A few friends that I know have said that the, the new sampler is the kind of shining light of the latest logic. So it might be interesting yeah, yeah. to see what that offers.
1: Yeah. I played around with it and it's, yeah, it looks good. I mean, I, I use Contacts as a sampler because it's such such an easy thing to use. And so yeah, I, don't, I don't think musical equipment should be complicated. I mean, <laughs> we're not scientists yeah. So as long as you make noise with it quickly and, and without reading a manual, to me that's the best thing. And yeah. if I have to read a manual, then forget it. You know, I, I've bought some synths over the over the years. I just say I'm not even going to bother with this. Yeah. You know? not even not even try because you have to patch it and oh, that's not for me. You know, I, I want to load something up, start messing with it, and start getting into it, and it should be intuitive.
0: You know, yep. So, for you know, me, I don't want to. I don't want to waste time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some some. I think some manuals are great for holding doors open. You know, that's that's. <laughs> you know, I think yeah, so, happy accidents and you know things happening without really knowing what specifically what you're doing, you get the best results sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, again, is that happening? <laughs>
1: Sorry, because yeah, I was I going to so, is that so.
0: harking back to that punk rock ethos kind of thing? You know? Yeah, I like it when you can.
1: You can. I mean, sometimes I just I'll just fall on the keyboard just to put some notes in there, just to see what it sounds like. But I like the. There's a synth I use called Sylenth, You probably know that, and that's so easy to use. And and you can get some great sounds from it. You can program it easy. And uh, yeah, if I can turn that on and get some, something going quickly and, and an idea quickly, you know, the next day I might change the sounds or do something, but at least I'm working with it and getting yeah. something going. And to me, that's important is, is to be able to get something working. And then the next day you come back to me and say, well, it doesn't sound right, but there's something there. Yeah, And that's the way I like to work. So at least you're, you know, at least you're working. And I think a, a lot of people the question with making making music is uh how do i how do i finish and how do i start and how do i continue and you you've got to you've got to start working and start um, sequencing and programming as soon as possible don't don't, don't stick on that four bar loop for yeah. three days and i think a lot of producers get into that of like this loop 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 without setting out a, a structure to something and once you start with the structure you can you can place and you can start getting into it a lot easier than if you're stuck on this loop for for me that's the best the best way to actually progress from the from the from the from the loop <laughs> is yeah. to start building Otherwise, you're stuck with this loop. Ah, it's driving me mad. I've been listening to the same loop for <laughs> 10 hours or something. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that. It's horrible,
0: that. exactly. It's a terrible thing, isn't yeah. it? I mean, <laughs> the, the sample quality and the sample libraries you can get your hands on now are unbelievable, you know. But do you still find yourself maybe trolling the internet for obscure samples or are you, are you doing a bit of both? Yeah. Yeah,
1: a bit, bit of both. Sometimes I'll use a a sample as a starting point and then recreate it myself, or or copy the notes or copy the structure, but with other sounds. Sometimes, if I'm looking for something specific, I'll I'll look on the internet or some old records or something. I still troll through some old records and you know, flick through them and the yeah old brass band <laughs> yeah, yeah. acapellas or something just Anywhere to you find, find some it. kind of sample somewhere yeah the worst thing is if you know what you want then you can't yeah. and you can't find it then you then it takes you hours and you're like oh this is just driving me but yeah you it, then you, when you find it you ah it's, it fits it fits yeah. so yeah it's still it's still a nice part uh, I mean when when I was an illustrator and I, I was doing Basically, collage. I'd have on my desk. I'd have boxes, and the boxes would be eyes, mouths, ears, faces, uh, which I'd cut out from books, magazines. I'd buy loads of books and cut out, and so I had um, a sample library of images where I could where I for, for my collage. So it's the same with the music as well if i have a, a bank of things vocals and certain sounds that at some point i know i can go back to and think i'm sure there was a sound there that i could i could use and i can go back to it and find it quite easily
0: yeah rather than trucking through too many things yeah <laughs> amazing so looking back and forward is there any tracks in particular you're most proud of from your back catalogue and then to sort of finish the show, can we play a couple of tracks that you where you're at right now? Um, if... Okay. Well, if you said you wanted to play
1: Pure and Tricky Disco, which is quite nice. So we can play those from the back.
0: Um, recently, go... I just released... So, sorry, Michael. Are those... <laughs> Personal favourites of yours? You know, they—they—they'll have been slotted into the show already. I mean, are they, is there any ones okay. in particular you're most proud of from your back your vast back catalogue? Uh,
1: I there's one track that I like, and and lots of people still like, and I, I it's um, a techno head track, The Passion, and I think it's it's not a hardcore track. It's it's a hard techno track, and it's got elements of I don't know trance, but not trance in that in the formal sense. And uh, it's funny people still play it now, and and it still sounds fresh. Yeah, and I remember hearing it at clubs, and it and it really still sounds, yeah, it still does the business if you if you like. So that that's that's quite. If people haven't heard it, maybe it's quite nice for them to hear that. Yeah. If
0: you're familiar with it yourself, I'm I, I know You know, I know the names. It's not until I listen to these things I get. You know, obviously like pure tricky disco and uh, Church Exit. Straight away I know the tracks. But again, it's such a vast catalogue. You've got yeah. to try and remember them all. But I'll definitely dig that one out for a listen, it's just because you, you, you're particularly proud of it as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It just came into my head. You know, what like the techno head thing was like champion, this sort of Gabba sound and all that. What was it that, that attracted you to that? Again, I'm just imagining it's the industrial edge side of things and the, just that kind of raw. Did I answer my own question there?
1: <laughs> I think, well, the thing is, at the time, the, the music biz uh, in the UK was was all a bit... All a bit fairy, fairy. I don't know. Techno music sort of was getting all a bit too melodic and a bit too Pete or whatever. Yeah. And that, and suddenly this fresh sound of anger and energy came out, and and it, it was just fantastic, you know. And and it had humour, and it was just it was just energy, fresh yeah. and when we started DJing with it, the response was fantastic, people loved it and uh, we loved the music and we wanted to get involved with it. And the funny thing is that going back to Go Bang Records, when we released Pure, the Dutch label, the A&R for Go Bang was also the a for Mokum Records, who were part of the whole yeah. Gaba thing. And so it wasn't hard for us to get in contact and say, we'd like to make a track for MoCum. We'd like to be involved in this this scene. And, uh, not that we made Gabba as such, but hard techno, hardcore. And uh, that, so it was quite easy for us to get involved in that scene as well. And because initially Lee was writing a, a column for DJ magazine, techno column, um, and we combined... we we would get all the records sent to us as well so we were privileged to hear all the records and we'd go to the the record shop and buy all the records all the imports so we were so involved in this hardcore scene and and techno as well at the same time but the hardcore really yeah it was just so inspiring that it was not it was just so nice to get involved with it yeah and uh yeah i think it was just the energy of it and it was so against the Either the prissy industry of the UK at that time, you know, mm. no one was no one was playing it. No radio would play it. So to us, it was a rebel rebellion type of music, yeah. and uh, even, uh, not many clubs would play it. You know, so it was nice to turn up and and play this music, and and people, I mean. A couple of clubs didn't like that we played it. (laughs) I think I can remember a couple of clubs we we got asked to stop, but um, (laughs) can we play something a bit slower or a bit quieter? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, generally it was, 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 the the public responded. So yeah, that was great music. I mean, had a great period of, of hardcore, which is fantastic there's some interesting hardcore being made now as well but i think techno is more interesting now and that's combined techno now is is for me is is evolving again into something a little bit harder a little bit more attitude wise mm-hmm. and it's combining hardcore and industrial music and there's some great artists out now that are doing that with techno so that's that's the way i see my music and and techno music evolving becoming a lot more a lot more tougher even darker
0: yeah and another double question for you is you you mentioned who who's who's who are you impressed with just now and who what artists impressed you in the dance scene back then
1: well uh, it's a difficult question it's always difficult to say
0: yeah who uh or if you can mention any that you enjoyed working alongside or you liked certain things that they have done. Or... I know it's a hard question. Yeah, I mean, the people at Rising High, I mean, the,
1: the, the output of Rising High Records was was fantastic. But equally, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we were on XL Records when The Prodigy were there. Um and they've been David i mean good luck to them they've been fantastic, and they had a great career out of making the music they wanted to make as well yep. um there's just so many producers out there i mean early early Todd Terry i mean were influences to us i mean and now there's so many producers and it's hard to say yeah you're right <laughs> um, in what you're saying, i think i mean i can I could probably run off this but
0: where do you start, where do you start? Yeah. 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 So, is there any sort of your socials uh, way people can get in touch with you or hear your new music? Is there any, because there are sites or that you want to plug
1: on this? Uh, well, we've just managed to put all the back catalogue on Bandcamp, so all the older... GTO, Tricky Disco, John and Julie, Church of Ecstasy, Greater Than One, and the newer projects um, that I've been doing are all mostly available there on Bandcamp now. So which is a Bandcamp's a fantastic thing because you can you can listen to the track. You can if you don't want to buy it, you don't have to buy it. So, and, and you can it's it's a great it's a great platform I think you know you can listen to the whole track rather than just like the breakdown or something that you can listen to on some platforms. So it's uh, it's a, it's a really and you're in touch with people. So you know if people buy something, you know you get an email saying who bought it. I mean it's it's a fantastic thing. Yep. So know I'd say Bandcamp was really quite a nice. One of the platforms I, I like to use and I like to, to, to direct people to because it's such a, there's no pressure to buy anything. If you want to buy something, then fine. So, um, and going, going back, I mean, I spent the last few years making lots of down music as well, ambient music uh, with my solo project. And I guess to finish, what would be nice is i've just recently released something with lenny d's label called uh, um, hard electronic that's the name of his label which is a harder techno track um but i've just released an album on on Bandcamp on my own data flow label called quiet techno which is quiet techno so it's not club techno it's techno to listen to in your living room or in a quiet situation so I wanted to design something which was listening techno so that's the two sides of what I've done recently oh yeah might be quite people to hear so there's two sides of the one is the harder more abrasive techno
0: and one is the quieter side of it yeah that's a great way to to end it I mean you know Lenny's such a great guy as well uh, you're obviously keeping in, in in touch and working with people that you, you want to be involved with. Uh and, and to, to, to showcase the two sides of things. This is a wee bit of a lag here with internet. Are you hearing me okay?
1: Yeah, yeah, fine.
0: <laughs> oh uh it's, it's strange how when it drops, you're, you're wondering if you can be heard or if you're speaking. Or... Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's come back now. Is oh, that okay. right?
0: Yeah, it's okay now. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Michael, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you. It's been a, it's been incredible listening to your journey through music. Thanks, <laughs> thanks. yeah i'm I'm just um i'm i'm slightly difficult difficult it. i think it must be my internet's just kind of lagging every now and again just just like the last couple of minutes there Uh i'm sure we'll have everything uh but like like i said it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and, and talking to you Pleasure talking to you as well. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully, and, uh, one of these one of these days, I can talk, twist your arm to coming over to Glasgow and playing a DJ set for us here in Glasgow.
1: Yeah, that's people. Uh, that's one thing. I've had. I get so many offers to go and do it, and I I stopped a long time ago doing it. I thought I'm not going to bother doing that anymore, but it's always tempting I, I, I never say never I yeah. guess that's the
0: thing <laughs> I think I think if you can get your mindset into cherry picking and maybe making a holiday out of it or a, or a small vacation yeah, yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> yeah this is it but listen it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you you know you've been an in, a big inspiration in, in what I do and it's been great to listen to your story
1: thanks Facebook I've been up for four days. I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. Oh, wow, this stuff's incredible. Excellent podcast.